Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Monday, December the 5th, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Genesis, and we will specifically be looking at Genesis chapter 43 through chapter 44. And so we continue the story of Joseph and his brothers. And as a recap, remember that Joseph is saved from prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He interprets the dream. He helps make a plan. Joseph becomes second command in Egypt and over all of the food supply. Joseph's brothers, minus Benjamin, come for food because of the great famine that has hit the land, just as Joseph predicted from Pharaoh's dream. Simeon remains as a pledge that the brothers will bring back Joseph next time. The the brothers have gone to their father. He sees Simeon is missing. He's already lost a son. There's no way that he would want to send Benjamin back. However, as we pick up this week in Genesis chapter 43, we see that the severity of the famine has continued. And because the severity has continued, uh, it, it, it drives Jacob to go back to the sons and say, we need more grain. So as we pick up the narrative, I hope that we know that this is not just a random story in the Old Testament or in Genesis, but this is God's gracious plan to save his people and to fulfill his promise. I I hope we will also see that in a fallen world of uncertainty and sin, that God is sovereign. The uncertainty of our world, the fallen nature of our world, the sinful nature of our world does not cause the Lord to lose control. He is sovereign using all of these things for his glory and for our good. Nothing is beyond his reach and no moment of your day is random. Let that sink in. There's not a moment, a second of your day that is random, but it is being used for the glory of God and ultimately for the good of his people and for his purpose. Ultimately, every minute and Seemingly, every meaningless detail is being used for God's glory, our good, and His purpose. And that's going to be the refrain that we see from this passage. But before we pick up in today's narrative in Genesis 43 through 44, I want to remind us of two prophecies uh, that I want us to ruminate on as we read this lengthy passage. The first is from Genesis chapter 12. So, So we back up. 31 chapters to Genesis chapter 12. And as we might remember, verse 1 through 3 says that the Lord says to Abram, he says, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Why? Because I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so today in this narrative, I want us to look for two distinct ways that the Lord is faithful to this promise. First, we're going to see that the Lord preserves his chosen people, Abraham's offspring, and he does so in a very extravagant way. You you realize if, if Joseph is not in the position that he's in, if he doesn't continually provide even for his own family, 
that the prophecy of the Lord given to Abraham, that he would be a great nation, could not have happened. God uses even the these seemingly meaningless details to preserve his chosen people. But the second thing that we see that shows us the Lord is faithful to his promise is that the Lord does end up using Joseph and Abraham's offspring, not just to bless his own family, but to bless the nations. Because Joseph is able to interpret this dream of Pharaoh, he's actually preserving life and and helping the nation of Egypt and all of the surrounding nations. Abraham's offspring, just like God said in Genesis chapter 12, is blessing the nations. The second place I want us to look is not too far back, but a few weeks back, we looked at Genesis chapter 37. And in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has these two dreams. And, and it's not the dreams, right, that, that, that frustrate or that, that bring pride to Joseph. It's that Joseph takes these dreams from the Lord and he pridefully and arrogantly tells them to his brothers. Verse 5 of chapter Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated it even more. And he said to them, hear this dream I have. I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Watch how distinctively this and the other dream given to Joseph by the Lord comes true. Why? Because the brothers will bow down, not just once, but twice in this narrative to Joseph. Not because they're bowing down to Joseph, their brother, but because they're bowing down to the second in command of Egypt, who at the time they have no idea is their brother, Joseph. So watch. But a few reminders as we read this narrative. God's word is always true, and he's always true to his words. So God's word is true, and he's always true to his word. I hope that even as we look at these promises from Genesis 12 and Genesis 37 come to reality in this narrative, that we will be reminded God is always true to his word. But then second, Joseph was arrogant. He was sinful after God revealed himself to him in those two dreams. However, our sin and our pride never thwarts the plans of God. Our good deeds don't thwart the plans of God, but our sin and our pride do not thwart the plans of God. So beloved sinner today, if you have blown up to your children, if you have shown your backside to a friend or to a colleague, if you have ruined your day, if you have messed up, you cannot thwart the plans of God. God is good and gracious. And so with that introduction, I want us to look at this narrative that we find in Genesis chapter 43, picking up where we left off last week through chapter 44. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain, this is Jacob and his family that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah says to him, hey, remember the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, that being Benjamin, then we will go down and we will buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Israel, Jacob says, why did you treat me so badly to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, 
The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred. Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was the answer to these questions. Could we in any way known that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, and don't miss this. Send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I, I, Judah, will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Remember last time Joseph had made sure they had their money back. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother, Simeon and Benjamin. May I get my family back minus Joseph who he believes he's lost. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and took double the money with them and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal and make ready for the men or to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. However, when the brothers got into Joseph's house, it says they were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, is it because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we brought in so that we may, so he may assault us and fall on us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went to the steward of Joseph's house and they spoke with him at the door of the house. And they said, oh my Lord, we came the first time to buy food. And when we came lodging place, we opened our sacks and ah, there was the money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again to us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he replied, the steward of Joseph's house, please, peace be to you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when they man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard they should eat bread there. Verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought in the house to him the present that they had given that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. First time they bowed down. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, your father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. Then he washed his face and he came out and controlling him himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them, the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for it was an abomination of the Egyptians. And they sat down before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the man's sack, men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with, which money for the, with, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. In other words, Joseph is testing his brothers. Verse 3 of chapter 44, as soon as the morning was light and the men were sent away with their donkeys, they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. 
And so when the steward overtook them, he spoke to them these words. Why does the Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing, the brother told him. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought that back to you from the land of Canaan. How then would we now steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? Whichever your servants is found with it shall die, and we will also be your Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say. And he found with it, it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest. And behold, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. And notice that posture in verse 13. Instead of tucking tail and running, every brother's going back to the city. Verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Judah said, What shall we say, my Lord? What, what shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of our servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servant, both we and also he who, whose cup the, the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. And other Joseph is saying, Will you leave this brother behind as well? Verse 18, Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in the Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants having, have you a father or brother? And basically Judah's going to go through the whole thing. He's going to say, hey, remember this. This is what happened. I brought back this, this brother of mine. This is what I've done. But listen and pick up in verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I, Judah, come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servants, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. <clears throat> For your servant, being Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all the days of my life. Verse 33. Now, therefore, Please let Judah, my, your servant, remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. And that ends verse 44. In other words, we see the beauty of substitutionary atonement that Judah is willing to stand in the place of his brother. So four takeaways on the sovereignty of God from this passage. Four takeaways that we see that our God is faithful, even when we are faithful. Four takeaways to see how God is sovereign, in control, and abundantly working all things for His glory, our good, and His purpose. Takeaway number one. In a fallen world with suffering, God is in the details. Look again at Genesis 43, 8-9. It says that Judah says to his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both me, we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of safety. From my hand you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Let me bear the blame forever. You see, no detail in this narrative is unimportant because God is sovereign in all the details. While this is a story of God's faithfulness, as seen through the lives of Jacob and Joseph and even Benjamin, we notice here that Judah steps up to be a substitute and a guarantee to his father for the life of Benjamin. And why was that important? Because later in Genesis chapter 49, we're going to read that when Jacob is blessing all of his sons, Judah is blessed in a very special way. Genesis 49 verses 8 through 12, Jacob says to Judah, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. 
The scepter, verse 10, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine. In other words, he has washed his garments in blood and his vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Oh, see the beauty of the blessing. The Messiah would come from Judah. So as Judah steps up to be the substitute for Benjamin, we see that the great, 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 great grandson of Judah, Jesus the Christ, King Jesus, the greater Judah, would one day step up. And he would step up not just for his family, but he would step up for the whole world. There's meaning for every moment in life, knowing that even in the smallest things, God is working. We may have missed this detail that Judah is the one that takes the pledge. Judah is the one that steps up. That's not an accident. Oh, hail, hail, Lion of Judah. This should give us meaning for every moment in life, knowing that even in the smallest things, God is working. So let's pray that the Lord would give us perspective on every detail of our lives, for every minute, every second, every thought, every fleeting desire, every word we speak or write or type, every text we send, everything we post on social media, every conversation we have, every quiet moment we have. May God be the Lord of it all. So let us take every thought captive and know that the Lord is sovereign in all of the details. And then second, The second takeaway on God's sovereignty is that in a fallen world with suffering, God is in complete control. You see, God is in control and his will in the world can never be stopped. Although the name of the Lord is is never truly invoked in this narrative. Yeah, I mean, they talk about your God Father has protected you. But truly, you don't see the hand of the Lord necessarily verbally or tangibly in this passage. However, we see that the Lord is invoked in Genesis 50 through 20 when, when Jacob has died and Joseph's brothers are, are worried that Joseph will enact vengeance upon them. And Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So while the name of the Lord isn't necessarily in Genesis 43 through 44, you see his fingerprints and sovereign control over all of it. He provided so that Jacob could be in a position to care for his family and preserve Abraham's line. He had Joseph in prison at just the right time to meet the cupbearer. Think about it. If Potiphar's wife had have accused Joseph at, at another time or in a different place, he might not have been in prison at the right time, but he was there in the right time. Even the sinful moments, even the hard moments, God was in complete control. He, and he moved Jacob to send for help from Egypt. So that Jacob sent his sons to Egypt so that they could be provided for by their brother. God is in complete control. Don't ever think for a moment that he isn't. Psalm 105, 16 through 17 says, When he summoned a famine on the land, he being the Lord, and broke all the supply of man, he had sent a man ahead of him. Who? Joseph, who was sold as a slave. The Lord used Joseph's arrogance, his brother's deceit and hatred, in order to meet the needs of his people. The Lord is in complete control. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth 
and forevermore. Beloved, do not fret. You have a helper and nothing is outside of his control. And the third takeaway we see from this passage on the sovereignty of God is that in a fallen world with suffering, God is always working for our good. Genesis 42, verse 6 from last week, it said Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And then we saw this week in Genesis 43, verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him to the house to present to him the present that they had and with him and with them, and they bowed down to him to the ground. When you put your faith, beloved, in God, you have a rock-solid confidence that nothing in this world can shake. God's purposes are clear, and he will accomplish them, just sometimes not in the way that we expect. You see, the sin and evil of Joseph's brother ultimately ended up fulfilling their own salvation and deliverance from famine. These fulfill the gracious purposes of God. The sin and evil of Joseph's brothers ultimately end up fulfilling their own salvation. The brother that they sold into slavery is the brother that provided food so that they and their families could live. It's just like the gospel. Our sin and evil place Jesus on the cross. Yet the cross is what brings us ultimate salvation. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God does all things for the good of his people and ultimately for the glory of his name. Just as Joseph's brothers bow down to him, this is foreshadowing of the greater Joseph, the King of kings and the Lord of lords to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's goodness and sovereignty should lead us to bow our knee to him in worship and adoration as Lord. So I urge us all to bow the knee before Jesus is Lord. But then, fourth, and the final takeaway from this passage, so that we can see God's sovereignty, is that in a fallen world with suffering, God will ultimately save us for his glory. Genesis chapter 44, verse 33 through 34, it says, Now therefore, please let your servant, this is Judah to Joseph. Again, he doesn't know that this is Joseph. Let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy Benjamin go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Again, Joseph doesn't know that this is actually Joseph, his brother, who he's talking to. Actually, he, he, he would have had a radically different posture. He, he could have even been more intimidated. But Judah and his brothers sold Joseph into slavery. And now Judah and his brothers have the opportunity to do the exact same thing with Benjamin. Just leave him as a slave. But Judah does something very different than what happened in Genesis 39. You see, here Judah offers his own life as a substitute for Benjamin so that Judah would be a slave instead of Benjamin. And brothers and sisters, as you look at this passage, oh, the beauty that Judah has learned this lesson, that Judah is willing to do this, And even his words, I fear to go back to my father. He knew his purpose. One day, another descendant would come from the line of Judah. He would come from his father. He would have a purpose to be a sacrifice, to be paying his life as a ransom, but not for a family member, 
No, this descendant from Judah's line would offer himself as a substitute and a sacrifice for you and for me to set you and me free from the slavery of sin and death. Not because of what he would receive in return, but he gave his life as a ransom. Paul says, Philippians 2, 5-8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Beloved, the Old Testament always and ultimately points to Jesus. And in Genesis 43 through 44, we see the sovereignty of God on display in a fallen and sinful world. So be reminded today, God is in the details. God is in complete control. God is always working for your good, and God will ultimately save us for his glory. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week we are praying for the nation of Togo in West Africa and praying specifically for our partners there and for those in Togo who are lost and without Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray for all the Togolese who are lost without Christ. Lord, we believe that there are 90% of the Togolese who have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a voodoo spirit, and we pray that you would tear that down with the truth of your word and with the truth of your son. God, would you send many who love you and care for you, would you send them to Togo to preach the good news of your gospel? Would you save men, women, boys, and girls in Togo. I pray that the church would rise up, not only to engage the lost, but to engage in orphan care, the skills and the abilities God has uniquely given them. I pray that you would raise up churches in the United States to champion a cause for the fatherless and to put this tiny sliver of a nation in West Africa on the hearts and the minds of the church. Lord, we also pray for Winner, a pastor in Togo, winner who, who lives 20 miles from the capital of Lome, that it, he would become a beacon of hope for those in the surrounding areas. Winner who was an was a orphan himself, who learned how to plant crops and, and was able to provide for himself and now pastors a church. Winner who, with his brother Godwin, helps in the orphanage where they grew up. And I pray for the development of new efforts and growing relationships with Lifeline Partners in Togo. I pray for Godwin and his efforts to make a living for his family and help provide for the needs of the orphanage he grew up in. I ask, Lord, for your blessings and directions and God for Godwin's efforts to grow his farm through the raising of chicken and pigs, as well as the production of eggs and corns. Father, would you continue to provide new partnerships and develop new partnerships in Togo? I pray for Pastor John as he explores the best way to care for vulnerable children in and around Togoville. I pray that you would open up doors to new opportunities with orphanages who might benefit from partnerships and trainings in the future. And I pray for our unadopted staff, for, for Mike and for Josh, who are working in Togo, that they would have clear direction from the Lord as to the next steps and best ways to move forward for where you are already at work in Togo. Lord, would you use us in a small way, knowing that you're in control of all the details for your gospel for your good, for your purpose, and for your glory there in Togo. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the name of power and glory and dominion forever and ever.
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.